Just a heads up. We talk about mental health challenges like suicide in this episode. So if you're not in the place to listen, maybe skip this one and come back another time. So mental health is is one component of your overall health in the same way that physical health is one component of your overall health. This is Ariel Copeland. It is super important to understand that we all have mental health. You know, that's just one element of, of our everyday lives. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not good. And that's the, that's the fluid nature of it. He is a chef and restaurant owner that's been in the industry for a long time. I've been working in this industry for close to 17, 18 years, something like that. My whole career was spent towards opening a restaurant. And I would go home and my hobbies were all, you know, related to work as well. And so I ended up opening my own restaurant about seven years ago now. And uh, about two years into the restaurant, I realized how depressed and unhappy I was just in my life. I spent a bit of time reflecting on this and really decided to, to make a change. And um, so as this kind of cultural shift was happening in my restaurant, I had a staff member who attempted suicide. I, I really just felt like I needed to do something and I, I didn't know what to do. To be completely honest with you, as an owner and manager, I didn't know what to do at first. In 2018, he and Hassel Avilas started a nonprofit called Not 9 to 5. So my name is Hassel Avilas, and I'm the, one of the founders of Not 9 to 5, which is a nonprofit organization that empowers hospitality workers around mental health and substance use. I had been living with depression and social anxiety for decades, and it was probably about a decade and a half, so about 15 years before I started really publicly, openly speaking about my mental illness, there was, I was just filled with so much shame up until that point. About that time, you know, I had also worked in restaurants, hotels, and I just didn't find that there was a lot of conversation or access to support and resources. So I just was really frustrated with feeling so full of shame and feeling like there was this huge elephant in every room of hospitality and no one was addressing it. And I was also really, to be honest, sadly, um, sick of losing friends. Figuring out how to cope with stress on our own, like we talked about in the last episode, is super important. But mental health in the industry is a bigger issue entirely that requires us all to educate ourselves. You're listening to Copper and Heat, the podcast exploring the unspoken rules and traditions of restaurants. I'm Katie Osuna. This is PreShift, our third season, getting you tips, tools, and resources to navigate the challenges of working in hospitality. In this PreShift, we're talking about how we can support each other through mental health challenges. We'll get started after this quick message. Even though I'm in the restaurant almost every day, I still eat my main meal at home. So my, my fridge is filled with preparation to cook. This is Chef Anita. My name is Anita Jasinghani. I'm the co-owner and chef of Pondicherry Restaurant and the Bake Lab in Houston, Texas. Cooking at home can be kind of rough, but Chef Dreams is bringing world-renowned restaurant chefs into your home kitchen with pro tips and culinary techniques, like this one from Chef Anita, a five-time James Beard finalist from Houston, Texas. In Indian food, we eat a lot of rotis. And I always, even now, till today, I yesterday, in fact, I was at home, and I had some leftover peelings from a bitter melon. And I'm like, you know, these are 
so good for you. So I put them in a roti dough and I made some rotis and I, and I half cooked the rotis, stuck them in my freezer. So when I want to eat a roti, I just take it out. I you know, flip it on my gas stove and it's ready within like 30 seconds. With an annual membership to ChefStreams, you have access to weekly interactive live stream experiences where you cook a multi-course meal with your favorite chefs. Plus, members get access to a library of over 30 past classes available on demand. And there are exclusive deals from cooking-related brands like Tillit, Made in Cookware, and Messermeister, which is so awesome. We've worked out a special discount on membership for Copper and Heat listeners that will save you 40% off the standard membership rate. So you can get an annual membership for $99 instead of the usual $165. To learn more about ChefStreams and take advantage of this special offer, go to ChefStreams.com and enter the invite code COPPER when you request a membership invitation. The restaurant industry is notoriously bad when it comes to mental health of the people that work in it. In 2017, Mental Health America ranked the food and beverage industry as one of the three worst workplaces for mental health. It's great that we as a collective industry are starting to talk about it more now, but I think a lot of us still feel a little lost about how to actually do better in the workplace. Not 9 to 5 is all about providing resources to do that. What I feel is really important is that people understand that there can be more harm caused by not saying anything at all when it relates to mental health and substance use than by trying and maybe possibly making a mistake or saying the wrong thing. It's better to say something even if you don't know what it is to say because even just saying that, I'm here for you, I don't know what to say, but I'm here for you is so much more helpful than pretending like you don't see that someone's drowning. Everybody's different, and everybody requires different means of support. Like Ariel said at the beginning, everybody has mental health. It's a fluid thing that is constantly changing. The mentality of treat everyone as you want to be treated is actually not right. It's treat everyone as they want to be treated because everyone is so different, right? So the first part of supporting your friends and coworkers is just listening. Active listening involves your body and your mind. So oftentimes people are only listening with their ears, not even their mind or their body. So there's a difference also between hearing someone and listening to someone. You might be sharing a story with me and I'm hearing you, but my, my mind, I'm thinking about my to-do list. I'm thinking about what my daughter said this morning versus actually sitting there and actively listening to whatever it is that you're trying to share with me. Active listening is a skill that everyone can and should develop to make sure that when you're in a conversation with somebody, you are really, truly listening. Hassel has a few tips on how to do that. Body language speaks volumes. Put your phone down. Have eye contact. If I'm on the phone, you know, and I'm texting and I'm not even looking at you, but I'm telling you that I'm listening, you're actually registering me as not listening. Even though I'm telling you that I'm listening, my body language is telling you otherwise, and we tend to communicate mostly through body language. And so remembering body language is a huge one. Another one is don't listen to respond, listen to understand. So what I mean by that is that you may not fully understand what someone's saying, but attempting to really empathize and listen to what someone's sharing with you versus listening to just 
what am I going to say back to this, is really, really powerful in any situation. And the last one that I'll end on is paraphrasing and asking probing questions. So if you're sharing something with me and I say it back to you, so like, so what I'm hearing you say is X, Y, Z, that's really helpful because then I'm, I'm feeling like, oh, wow, she's really listening. Yeah, that is what I'm saying. Um, and then asking probing questions, if you don't understand, for example, can really help the person feel really heard as well. By actively listening to friends, family, and coworkers about what's going on in their lives, you're taking the first steps towards supporting them in their mental health. The next part is for managers or leaders. You have to take that active listening and put systems and check-ins in place so that you have the finger on the pulse with your employees. Oftentimes in restaurants, people become managers because they're either very good at working the floor or they're very good at cooking or they're, you know, they've been in place the longest and where is the notion and idea around any training about, uh, you know, emotional intelligence or, you know, managing staff. And for me, that was the same, the same thing as I can honestly say that I had no idea. And I had worked in kitchens from a, a worker standpoint, but then making that shift to the manager standpoint, which is quite different. It was a lot of like learning on the fly and trying to do the best I could. So I would start by saying I would highly encourage anyone who is managing to, to go through a training of some sort with mental health. I spend a lot of time, um, you know, thinking and strategizing and trying to figure out ways that I can implement new systems and procedures. But I think if you want to look at it from a very like basic level, like understanding every single kitchen has a first aid kit, but almost no kitchens are equipped to handle a mental health crisis. That's a real problem. And I think we need to recognize that's a real problem. So um, any major change in characteristic. So for example, um, if someone is punctual all the time and then all of a sudden they start kind of coming in a bit late, um, you can look for people that are a little bit lethargic, um, a lot of negative self-talk. You can look for people that are, um, you know, potentially uh, changing eating patterns, uh, maybe a little bit less kempt. So like not as well kempt. Like, you know, maybe not showering the same amount or wearing the same clothes over and over. Um, but I, I would also go back to, to emphasize the importance of, like, every single person's journey is their own. And I think that one of the things to support a team is being able to have check-ins and talk to the individuals to make sure that you have your finger on the pulse with that person as opposed to a general statement, if that makes sense. Everyone, not just managers, should take some form of mental health training, like the Mental Health First Aid Program or the QPR Institute Suicide Prevention Training. As Ariel says, mental health is just as real as physical health, and everyone should know what to do in certain situations. It's not about making you a mental health professional, the same way training people on how to deal with burns or severe knife wounds is not about making them a doctor. It's about training folks on how to react in mental health or substance use situations. A good place to start is with what Hassel calls the alone tool. So full transparency, the alone tool is influenced and inspired by a tool that is in the mental health first aid course. They used a similar acronym, but we changed it because we wanted it to be a word that everyone already knows and can relate to. So we adapted it to instead be alone. So the alone tool was created to help people feel less alone. It's an acronym to help folks deal with mental health situations. So A, A is for assess the risk. L is for listen without judgment. 
O is for offer reassurance and information. N is for the need to encourage professional help. And E is for encouraging other support. When you hear assess the risk, you're like, how? <laughs> you know, how, am I, how do I assess the risk? So I think it really depends on what, obviously, the situation is. So if you're someone that's coming into a situation or you've walked into something, I think it's really about protecting yourself and your own safety first. You can't help someone if you're not in a good position to help someone. And I think that that's true for anything, whether you're actually physically supporting someone or emotionally supporting someone. I think it's really important that you check in with yourself. Like, am I equipped right now and okay to try to address the situation? And so if that's the case, you assess the risk and you realize maybe I'm not the right person. And so you find someone else that can. I think assess the risk also speaks to what you're seeing. So all of your senses, what you're hearing, what you're seeing, what you're feeling, what, obviously taste usually doesn't have much to do with <laughs> these situations, um, but you know, all of your sensory, you check in and if you're seeing someone that's not breathing, if you're seeing someone that's unconscious, if you're seeing someone that is maybe, you know, throwing up or physically unwell, obviously this is part of assessing the risk too, because, you know, before you start jumping into the next steps, you have to obviously understand what situation you're dealing with first. The last point I would make about it is that if you're seeing someone that's still very much in like a crisis situation, so a panic attack where they feel like they can't breathe, you should definitely ask for consent before approaching someone and, and getting you know involved in a situation. So, hey, is it okay if I ask you a few questions about how you're feeling right now? Or, hey, is it okay if I approach you? I just wanna check in or, you know, however you want to phrase it. So I think it's really important to redefine what this means for you. And again, check in with you and ask for that consent before you approach any further. N is directed to covering professional help. So trying to figure out, you know, what the best way is to connect that person to professional help. But what we mean, you know, in general, when we say encourage other supports, can be anything from hey, can I contact another family member or a loved one or someone that normally supports you in these situations? You know, I have friends, for example, that have a very specific list of people that they want to talk to when they're having anxiety or panic attacks. And it's definitely not their family, <laughs> you know? So I think it's really important to ask someone like, hey, is there anyone else I can call, you know, that can come pick you up or that can come and, you know, be with you right now? And I think that that's really important. The other example of what we mean by encourage other supports are different kinds of unconventional things that can be supportive to people. And just asking them like, hey, is there something that has helped in the past? You know, has this happened before? Is there something else that has happened? And they might say, actually, yeah, um, you know, what really helps me is doing a breathing exercise. You're like, great. Can I sit here with you and do that? Or do you want me to leave you alone so you can do that? Um, that's not a professional, you know, help, for example, but I can tell you from personal experience when I've had anxiety attacks, there's a number of different breathing techniques that I use um, that help kind of regulate my nervous system and get me back to a place where I don't feel like I'm in panic anymore. And so I think encouraging those other kinds of supports are really helpful. Sometimes it's like, hey, can I play you a song on my phone that might help? 
you know, or, hey, can I get you, you know, something to eat? Or can I get you a glass of water? Again, it depends on what the crisis in the situation is. But those other supports are, are just some examples. Um, but I always really encouraging asking the person because I think it's really important that we understand to treat people how they want to be treated, not necessarily how we want to treat others. This is just one of many tools. We'll put some more resources in the show notes for ways that you can learn more, because everyone should be learning more. And the alone tool is just a great place to start. But you might still be thinking, I don't want to fuck this up. Like Cassell said at the beginning, it's better to say something than to pretend that you don't see that someone's struggling. But to help you a little bit more, here are some things to avoid. Okay, so what not to do? Not make it about you. So if someone's sharing something that's really difficult for them, and even if you yourself have struggled with that before, try to really let them talk about it first and not jump in and go, oh, yeah, me too, you know, um, because that is so often the knee jerk is to go, me too, let me tell you now my story. And again, that person may not have been finished sharing what they wanted to share about what they were talking about. If at the end of the conversation, you know, you want to ask consent around, hey, can I share a similar experience that I had? Again, consent, I can't emphasize how important consent is, then you know that you're giving that person the choice to listen to your story or not. But jumping in with your story from the get-go, please don't do that. Like, if you tell me that you're not in a great place, then I can't, I shouldn't look at you and say, oh, well, suck it up. But that's just, you know, that's, that's not an effective way of actually having a conversation around that. It's like, hey, I have a broken leg. Oh, well, you know, you should just suck it up. And that's the thing I think that we have to start, you know, considering is that, you know, we have to treat mental health like we treat physical health because it is a real thing. So I would say like the idea and notion of a, a stigmatized comment is really harmful. So things like, oh, it's just in your head or suck it up, get over it. Or like, you know, and actually let's use COVID as a perfect example. So like, oh, well, I was in COVID too. It's not that bad. You know, things like that, where you're really taking the power of what the person's trying to explain, because oftentimes if someone's expressing something to you, what they actually want from you is for you to listen. It's not about you trying to say something. So you don't need to have something back to say back to them. Passing judgment. What I mean by that, again, is it doesn't really matter if you agree with the person or not. So oftentimes, for example, this is a big one. I may share with you that I'm on medication for my mental health challenge. And you might be thinking, well, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in taking medication. And really, you're going to take pills or who knows what you might be thinking, right? You're judging me in some way or another. If you have these thoughts, that's perfectly fine. That's perfectly natural reaction to have your own judgments in your head. Just don't share them with the person. Because honestly, for me to have shared with you that I'm on medication might be a really big deal. And if you then judge me on the fact that I took this huge step to be vulnerable with you and tell you something that I'm trying to do to recover or heal myself or move forward, it may actually set me back. There's a really good chance that when you share judgments, you can send people back. You can impact them and you can actually get worse sometimes because the person feels like, oh, maybe they're right. Maybe I should go off my medication. But again, like you're not a doctor, so you shouldn't at all be sharing any kind of judgment around medications ever. 
situations. That's their life and those are their choices and we don't know what people are living with. So I think it's really important to always remember that, that there's always more to the story than we realize and, you know, not making other people's life experiences or choices about your own life choices and experiences is really, really important. And don't be silent about something when you see something. Oftentimes, I know for years working in this industry, for too long, I was complicit in certain harm being caused by just staying silent. And it's something that I've really evolved away from. And I'm really proud of myself for doing this really difficult work. I still struggle with it, but not that I was partaking in any of that kind of behavior, but I definitely witnessed it and I definitely didn't report it. And I definitely didn't tell my boss or or sometimes it was my boss doing it, but like, I definitely didn't report it to anyone else. If your gut instinct is telling you that something's not okay, just ask. And if you don't feel comfortable asking, find someone else, you know, to get involved, to ask. Because I think, like I said earlier, there is more harm caused by staying silent than by trying to help someone and being scared of saying the wrong thing. I think a lot of people who have been in the industry for a while have seen and been part of these systems and structures. Like, I think that it's important to recognize that we're all complicit. I think that we need to adapt and we need to evolve. Like our, our industry has been broken for so long. There's a reason that it's ranked one of the worst places for mental health and substance use. I mean, that's a real thing. And we all have friends, like anyone who's been in the industry for a long time, we all have friends who um, have unfortunately died by suicide. And we all know people who have substance use challenges. You know, I, I think that we just need to really start questioning and seeing and thinking, reflecting, how can we make it better? I know it's hard and confusing sometimes, but we have to start helping each other out. And this is a great way to get started. If you or someone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis, please contact a professional or call the suicide hotline at 800-273-8255. Join us for our Instagram Live next Monday, where we'll be going more into depth and answering your questions about mental health in the industry. Even if you're listening to this well after we post the episode, the video is still in our IGTV at Copper and Heat. So my favorite place to send people is always our website which is www.not9to5.org. And the nine and the five are numbers. So don't judge us for the design. (laughs) But more because of the resources page. Um, There is so much incredible, valuable information on that resources page. And I know it's a lot to go through, but I highly recommend that if you're looking for something, you take a look there first. And then on Instagram, we're at not9to5 underscore. Plus, if you want to educate yourself more on how to support your friends and coworkers which you really should. We have a bunch more resources in the show notes and on copperandheat.com. If you haven't already done it, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. Then you can keep up with all of our new episode releases throughout the season. Even better, please share it with a friend. Pre-Shift, the third season of Copper and Heat is produced by me, Katie Osuna. Our story editor is Rachel Palmer. Our sound engineer and composer is Ricardo Osuna. Thank you so much for listening.